Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is called, is called It's Exceedingly Close, Part 1. And Mazel Tov. Tonight we're going to kind of wrap up what we've been learning since Chapter 18 and give a second answer to the question. What is the question? The whole Tanya is based off the verse, so that the Torah and mitzvah is to serve God with your thoughts, speech, and action. And even more, to serve God. With more your, important question than that is what chapter are we on? Chapter 25, we'll get there in a moment, but to okay. serve God with your mind and with your emotions is exceedingly close. The ficha with your speech, your mouth, the vavavcha with your heart. La soso with your actions. It's exceedingly close. How, how? So we, we asked, how could it be exceedingly close that my emotions connect with Hashem? So in chapter 17 we explained it's exceedingly close for a person to do good. You, could, you may have an inner struggle, but you're always able to control at the end of the day, control your inner struggle. But today, we're going to learn much more. It's exceedingly close, not only for you to control your inner struggle, but for you to remove the struggle. It's exceedingly close for a person to really control their heart. How is it? So let's review what we've discussed since chapter 18. We started off learning how every person has an inner love for Hashem called an Ahava Tivis, a natural love. A child loves his, a, a father loves his son, a son loves his father. We naturally love Hashem. That's the way we were created. That's our DNA. We continue to say that though this is in our DNA, it's a little different than the love of a child to a father. Because a child to a father is natural and it's revealed. But this inner love that we have is natural, but it's concealed. And therefore, therefore this ahavativis, this natural love, is also at the same called, is also at the same time called ahavamisuteris, a concealed love. So it is in each and every Jew, but it naturally is concealed. Help me out unless someone is threatened with their life. Unless there's a case where someone says, go against God or else I'll kill you. So at that point, someone's like, I'm not going to completely cut off my connection to Hashem. But until that time, for smaller issues, it appears this natural love is not revealed. We continue to say how all positive commandments are connected to the command of believing in Hashem, and how all negative commandments are connected to the command to not go against Hashem. Because if you believe in Hashem, if you want to stay one with Hashem, you won't do any, you'll do everything He says. And if you, the commandment not to have any other gods, we discuss every sin in a sense is having another God. What does it mean to have another God? It means to, to believe that there's a, a second, there's a second entity in this world. That's idol worship. Every time we serve and we, we do a sin in a sense, it's similar to idol worship. And we concluded most recently that what is covering over this natural love? We said there's a natural love inside of everyone. What is covering over it? We used fascinating terminology. Ruach shtus. Folliness. Foolishness. So everybody has a natural love, but it's concealed. What's, what's concealing it? We call it... In a child, what I, there was Yiddish word I wanted to share. We call it. Uh, it's slipping my mind. What's, it's called, what's it supposed to mean? It's called foolishness. Just being, you know, what do they say about teenagers? They're young and naive. Mishugana. I don't know if that would be Mishugana. <laughs> Narishkai. That's a good word. It's just Narishkai. It's just child's play. If we would think, it would never happen. Okay, this has been an introduction of the last chapters from 18 through 24. And now in 25, we're going to put it all together. Chapter 25, page 106. What, pa chapter 25, page 106. Right-hand column. 
with this previous introduction of the previous chapters, this then is the meaning of the scriptural text. For it is exceedingly near to you. It's exceedingly near to you. For at any time and moment, a person is capable and free to rid himself of the spirit of folly and forgetfulness. At any moment, a person can remove that foolishness. Before we continue, we always know that everything in Torah is exact. There's an entire chapter in the Talmud discussing one letter in the Torah. There's a letter, there's a specific letter that the whole chapter is just discussing what is this, the need for this letter. What's the difference between folly and forgetfulness? What do you mean that at any moment a person can remove himself of the folly and forgetfulness? If folly, the foolishness, is the reason for sin. Forgetfulness is the reason that a person will not do a positive commandment. So folly allows a person, unfortunately, to do the negative commandments. Forgetfulness can, forget it, can allow a person to not do the positive commandments. This is not my thought. This is note number three. Let's see it inside. The spirit of folly, what is that a reference to? Driving him to sins of commission. Forgetfulness is of the innate love of God, causing sins of omission. So... At any given time, wherever you may be, you have the ability to remove the spirits of folly and forgetfulness. Before I continue, I just want to share that every month I try and, I try and write a, a blog post about education. And this month, you'll see it in this coming newsletter, it's all about truth. And we've spoken about this many times. That truth is everywhere and any place. If there's one, if there's a place that this idea cannot be, it's not true. If there's a moment in time the idea cannot be, it's not true. For example, we learn that water that is flowing in a river, but once every seven years the river dries out, that's called fake waters, and you're not allowed to use it for items where the Torah says you need living waters. There are certain items the Torah says you need true water. If a river dries up once in seven years, it's called fake water. Something that is not forever is false, in a sense. And what we're learning here is that this love within you, that we're learning about now, it's a true love. You could arouse it wherever and whenever. That is truth. Let's continue on. So with this power you're able to remove oneself of the spirit of folly and forgetfulness and to recollect and awaken His love of the One God, which is certainly, which is certainly alive and well in His heart without any doubt. At any given moment, all you need to do is take your fan and shake and wave, wave the ember and boom, the fire is going to start glowing. There's a fire inside of you. Even the coldest of cold people, there's a fire actively inside of them. And all it takes is a little waving of the fire. Any questions? No, everybody's on fire. You see, that's why there's no... This is the meaning of the words. Uvilvavcha, in your heart. The, the power to serve Hashem exceedingly close is even within your emotions. Reveal the fire that's inside of you. Indeed, therein is also fear. That when we say there's a natural love for Hashem, well, if you love someone, then part of that love is you don't want to separate from them. You're scared of separation. If someone loves getting away from something or someone, they probably don't love them very much. If you love someone, then you're, in a sense, scared to separate from them. Isn't that what we always talk about? Don't we always hear about parents 
are struggling with their children because it's hard for them to, to give their children space. That's coming from a very loving place, actually. When you have these fights between parents and children, it's coming from these... It's hard for parents to let go. And it's coming from a beautiful place. So the, our love for Hashem automatically also includes fear. Inclu- included therein is also fear that is the dread of separation in any way from His unity and oneness, blessed be He. Even at the price of life itself. And without reason and logic but purely by virtue of one's divine nature. It's not logical. It's not logical. You have people, unfortunately, their entire life, they went against God. They denied God. And yet there was a moment in time, a moment in space, where the flame was ignited, or the flame, to be more precise, in our, in our context, would be re, was, re, was reignited. And they just stopped cold, whatever they were doing, and came, came back to Judaism, came back to Hashem. It's, it's against logic. You hear stories of people that they tell you they, they, they actively tried to remove the fire. They didn't even want to allow it to be rekindled. They had a great life. Well, it's not up to you. You have a fire inside of you. Hashem has given you this fire. Try as much as you want. It's there. We learn that the greatest challenges in life, and specifically in this context, the generally the, the, the discussion is about financial burden. The greatest financial burden will never allow, will never be able to extinguish the great love that a Jew naturally has. No matter what, no matter how much money someone offers you, no matter what type of struggles you'll be going through, no financial issue and, and no issues period can really can ever put out this flame and fire within every Jew. So how do you ignite it? I mean you see people all the time not igniting it. Never seen such a thing. I'm, I was just I was just making a joke. What? I said I've never seen such a thing but I was yeah, making a right. joke. I wish. Yeah. I mean immediately you know Noam Chomsky comes to mind. Who's uh, mm-hmm. uh, fervently anti-Israel, anti-Jewish, and very Jewish? So, what's the question? How do you ignite it? You know, when people do ignite it, and when people don't, what's that difference? What is the match? What is the fuel? You know, it's just. How do you ignite it? Yeah. Um, I have a cousin who tried emailing him because she thought, well, she could... I, I mean, he's a, a well-known um, anti Jewish anti-Semite, and he's also a famous linguist. Right? And she thought she could at least understand him better. Yeah. And was, yeah, you know, not necessarily would she change his mind, but she... She wanted to understand him better. Plus, I know she wouldn't mind changing his mind. Um, unbelievable, the emails she said. She wanted to send them to me. I didn't want to read them. You know, I didn't want to read them. Um, how do you ignite it? Some people in here have ignited or just um, fanned what was there and didn't need igniting. Reigniting, I should say, to be consistent. So, I get the question. How do you ignite it? And before I... I know Rabbi David had a comment, but before I take it, I do want to... If we're going to be precise on terminology, um, I would have to change it, although I used that word previously. It wouldn't be reignite. It would be... Um, how, what, what word do you say to, to make a fire bigger? What would be an appropriate word? If there's always a fire, reignite means... To feed it. To feed it? But it's... it's it's more than that because there's always a pilot light. What we're, what, what we're learning here is that there's always a pilot light on. That pilot light will never, be, will never be extinguished. The discussion is how that pilot light is fueled to, to revelation. You know, you could see a stovetop. 
that has, you, it looks dead to you, but there's really a pile of laid on. That's what at times we may see. You may see a Jew where it looks like he's, he has there's no connection. It's a legitimate word, but it, uh, it's an Oxford English Dictionary word, but nonetheless it says it, conflagrate. Conflagrate. Cause a conflagration to form. So conflagrated is, you had a comment of it. And, and I, I hear the question, I'm going to wait, because I think at the end of the class we'll have clarity with you. Yeah. There's an interesting problem to me, and it doesn't pertain just to this, it pertains to other things, but by the very fact that I engage in an argument or a discussion in my mind or a, a, a contradiction with you defines the problem as existing and I acknowledge it. Therefore, when I say I don't acknowledge it, the mere fact that I have to say I don't acknowledge it makes the problem front and center. I don't believe in Hashem, and I think it's all bogus. Well, then why do you have to state it? And why do you have to define yourself in terms of you're not believing in Hashem? The real problem comes when you have somebody who completely excludes all consideration of Hashem, all consideration of the uh, religio-ethnic identity rebels and immerses himself in something which is contrary completely uh, to uh, uh, to our religio-ethnic identity and that is the deep problem and my I wonder how much that occurs I don't suspect it occurs that much because every time I have to say I don't believe in you and I don't believe in what you say well why do I have to tell you I validated you by my very mere need to rebel. Good. I, I mean, I think David is making a good point. But let's, what, I, what I'd like to do here is continue on. And I think, let's recap. What did we learn? We learned the flame. Well, you go back to that wording, perhaps it's more appropriate to the pilot light inside of every Jew that will never be extinguished. But just like a pilot light, all it takes is one little turn and boom, you have a massive fire. The same thing is inside of every Jew. So what does it take, Sandra, to reveal it? If you are the person, I'll give you instructions. If you are the person that wants to ignite the fire, we're going to give clear instructions now. If you're talking about somebody else, we'll try and perhaps give some ideas at the end, but it's a whole separate conversation. Today we're talking to you and about you. Let's see that inside. If someone, we're on the fourth line of page 108, first word, if someone will give up their life, they're willing to suffer the pain of death in order not to be separated from God. <laughs> Just, wouldn't you be willing to suffer not to eat a little drink? Not to separate from Hashem? If you're willing to suffer... The pain of death, God forbid, not to separate from Hashem. Won't you be willing to suffer a little pain of not wearing a garment that has wool and linen in it, in it together? You know, see the small pains. That's the first initial thought. If you want it, you asked, how do you ignite the flame? Here is one, one meditation that should be able to bring out within you the ability to To follow through in your connection and love for Hashem and fear of Hashem. The thought that I'm willing to allow myself to die for Hashem, certainly I can allow myself to forego some, some small pleasures. Let's see that inside. Again, fourth line. All the more so where it involves merrily the suppression of one's appetite, which is easier than the pangs of death. It's easier, right? Maisha Mendel, it's easier to hold yourself back from drinking a Coke than... Mm -hmm. Now, Coke is kosher, don't get me wrong. It's Yom <laughs> <There> you go. <laughs> this thing, i.e., repressing his evil inclination, is easier by far. And we're going to share with you, we're going to continue to learn how it's easier to suppress your evil inclination, both not to do the negative commandments and to do the positive commandments in both areas I'm going to give you the tools I'm not going to give you the tools Valtrev is going to give you the tiny is going to give you the tools now 
how to do what we need to do. Let's see that. In, yes. But it's important that the Rebbe, who is the Moray, also gives the tool by virtue of his instruction, which is why a Rebbe is important. Thank you. This thing, i.e. repressing his evil inclination, is easier by far both in the category of Sormeira turning away from evil and that of Vasetov and doing good. You're even to able to control yourself even when it concerns a minor prohibition laid down by the scribes. You see, oftentimes, unfortunately, people say, one second, what you just told me, is it a halacha? Is it from the Torah? Is it from the rabbis? Is it a minhag? The truth is, and that's what we're learning right now, when it comes to connection with Hashem, it's all the same. Hashem set the Hashem is Hashem. Hashem sets the guidelines, and Hashem said that there are mitzvot that I enumerated myself. There are mitzvot that the scribes are going to enumerate. But every time someone does something negative, they are separating from Hashem, so as not to transgress against His will. Blessed be He. We don't want to go against Hashem's will, since at the time of its commission, He is thereby separated from His unity and oneness, just as much as committing actual idolatry. When someone does a sin, they have separated from Hashem. There's no other way around it. Wow, I mean, seemingly, this sounds, this sounds uh, simple. We, right, we should give it a manual. You'll help me to see. I'll give it, we'll give it a simple manual. I'll walk around. You don't want to sin. Here's the manual. Two lines. You'd give up your life for God. Give up, give up, give up this drink. You know? We should go next to a non-kosher restaurant and just uh, put up signs. I don't know. It sounds simple. But the truth is we have a big question. It's called a klutz kasha. It's an obvious question. Mm -hmm. A klutz. You know what a klutz is? Oh, klutz. What's a klutz, my Shemando? Somebody's uncoordinated. And... Oh, that's a klutz. A klutz is something you attend to learn about, Tanya. <laughs> no, no. A klutz? A klutz is uh, he's like a clumsy. A klutz kasha, yeah, it's called a clumsy question. But the truth is, they are the ultimate question. Like when you hear two things that just don't add up, but it's such a basic thing, it's called a klutz kasha. I have, we have over here a klutz kasha. A basic, simple two plus two is not adding up. Why not? Conundrum. Conundrum. It's, things are not pulling together. Why not? It's a basic important aspect of pill pull too, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And what again is this conundrum? Oh, we didn't say it. Okay. Here, here it goes. Here it goes. We learned that last week that some mitzvot disconnect the person off from Hashem completely and some mitzvot don't. We learned about the idea of karis, being cut off from God. I I'm scared to be cut off from God. But am I scared to do a smaller sin that doesn't cut me off from God? What's the whole logic we said? We said you should go and you should tell someone if you would be willing to give up your life not to serve idols. How much more so you should be willing to suffer a little pain not to eat non-kosher. That's like the seeming, that's the simple logic, right? But it's, it doesn't make sense, seemingly, because I would give up my life because I don't want to be cut off from God. Serving idols is karis. It cuts you off from God. And seemingly there's no way back. There's no teshuva. You're, it's done. However, all other sins, they're smaller sins. You could do tshuva, come back. So let me say it in simple, we'll, call, we'll say it in simple English. For serving idols, it appears that there's no, no way back. You served idolatry and you're done. You've overstepped the bounds. So how could you learn from there to all other sins, but you could still come back? Don't they say children want to test you? Okay, so you want to, you want to test God on a small thing. I won't test God on a big thing. You only get one chance, right? If you, if you, but I'll tell you. Is the conundrum clear? Is the question clear? Three. Repeat the question. Say it so people understand. 
don't know if you I can. You love being put on the spot, don't you? Um, what I think you're asking is if, is if people don't want to be cut off from God, it's, it would seem easier to not, not to do any of the negative sins. Um, even though there are some that are not that difficult to avoid, but some really are. On the positive side, though, it seems like it takes more effort to do them. So that if, so even if you're not lazy, it requires more effort. That's an interesting question. But I want to say here a, a little different. We're all in the negative. Okay. We're so, talking specifically in the negative commandments. So I can understand that. But the question is, let me, so let me see if I... I'm going to try one more time. If not, we'll, my Shemanda will, will share it with us. Here's the question. Yeah, the, yeah. the question is like this. <coughs> you, you know what a Kalva Chomer is? A Kalva Chomer is one of the 13 principles by which we learn Torah. One of the 13 guidelines. Kal is something light. Chomer is something very serious. So a Kalva Chomer means if by a light situation the halacha is such and such, how much more so in a serious situation the halacha needs to be at least such and such. If 2 plus 2 equals 4, so certainly 4 plus 4 needs to equal 4. It may equal more. But certainly at least... I mean, that was a bad, a bad example. <laughs> Let me think... There's some mathematical let me see if I can think of a... Um, uh, let me give you an example. You know, I, a kavachomer would be something like this, in, in halacha. If, if for going ahead, and um, if for going ahead, and shechting an animal, slaughtering an animal. This is not true, but take If for slaughtering an animal on Yom Tov, you would have to pay $500. How much more so Shabbos, which is stricter than Yom Tov? Mm -hmm. If you slaughtered an animal, you'd have to pay $500. You said you had to pay $500 because you slaughtered an animal. That's why I said it's not a true scenario. I understand that, but I thought the point was that depending on, I guess, for lack of a better word, the situation or the timing or yeah. whatever it is, yeah. once, you know, like you said, it's worse to do it on, on Shabbat right. than it is on exactly. that's but they're both 500 hours. Well, that's why I said at least. We could learn out from the simple situation for a more serious situation. If we know better, the serious situation may be worse. But, so, the, but the simplest thing you can learn out is at least what is done in the, in the easier situation. Let me try and apply this back to us. Let me see if the, maybe this will help. What is more serious? What is the Chomer? Serving idols? Or wearing wool and linen together. Which one is more serious? Serving, serving idols. So, can you learn from serving idols to something simpler? Or could we learn from something simple to, serve, to something more harsh? Can you apply the rules of idol worship to something simpler? Absolutely not. Whatever is discussed by idol worship has no connection seemingly to something simpler because it's a whole different ball game. However, if we were talking about something simple, I could certainly say this may apply mm -hmm. by idol worship. We have to apply, it seems to me, the, the judgment. Is it an act of participation or is it a passive one? If one wears shockness, he may not be aware of it. Uh, there are a variety of mitigating circumstances which uh, will contribute to the passive committing of a sin. One cannot be an idolater without actively participating in a forbidden act. 
It's a fair observation. And again, the two, the two examples were purely examples. So, and I, I appreciate well, I wasn't that. Being critical. So back to our discussion here. Thank you. Back to our discussion here. By idolatry, it appears that you cannot do teshuva. So how can we say that the, just like you would be willing to give up your life for idolatry, certainly you'll be willing to give up any pleasure. How could you compare the two? Idolatry, seemingly there's no way back. It's much more harsh. So I don't want to separate from God. But a simpler sin is just a small separation. It's like someone saying, oh, if you're not willing to cut off your connection from your parents, you certainly won't leave on a small vacation. What's, what's the connection? How are we learning out from idolatry where you, where you would completely separate yourself from Hashem for a smaller sin? Pasha, do you think, is the question clear? Could, could you, do you want to try and repeat it back? No, no, you, no, no there's no pressure here. Um, well, uh, if if we were to do something, uh, well, idolatry is is a concerted effort to believe something that's completely against Hashem. Good. Whereas doing something like um, not not eating something kosher, you can you can come back from that. Exactly. So how can we compare the two? How can we compare the two? Correct. But how could you say whatever applies by a terrible sin also applies by a simple sin? Seemingly they're so distant from each other. Seemingly you've crossed the red line with idolatry, you have not crossed it with a simpler sin. And that's let, let's see the answer. Sometimes the answer will help with the question. The question's not written in Tanya. The answer is written in Tanya. Let's see it inside. As for repenting afterwards, seemingly by a simple sin you could repent. And idolatry you can't repent. So how could you re compare the two? Haha, -ha. he can do this regarding idolatry too. Regarding idolatry, there's no red line. There's no red line. You've passed a black line. Meaning you've put yourself in a scenario where it's hard. It's hard to return. But you haven't completely separated yourself from Hashem. You, in which? Even in idolatry. Okay. And that's something really... The, the flame is always inside. The flame is always there. Is the separation, uh, the quality of the separation more... Is it, is it more of, a, is it deeper, is it a deeper separation? In which case? In which case? Absolutely. When someone does idolatry, they've cut the 613 cords. Mm -hmm. But we're saying it's never too late. That's the novelty of what we're learning right now. It is never too late. Remember, like I've, I've been telling you, this is the whole philosophy of Chabad, is a Jew, is a Jew, is a Jew. This is where it is. No matter what happens, you could do the greatest sin, God forbid, You're still a Jew. You're still my. You're still my brother. Besides, it's never too late. Besides idolatry, then it also applies to the three major sins that Hashem. It would be. You have to give your. You have to be willing to give up. Your it would be even sin. more. There's there's more sins than just those three, which come cut a person off from God. Karis yeah. means to be completely cut off. That applies to more than these three sins. Even comments on Pesach is one. There you go. But you don't have to give up your life. If someone's well, forcing you, not, depending on it, how it's you define life, uh, yes, Sandra. I'm looking for the list of the thirteen rules of interpretation. Try page twenty, twenty-five, or twenty-six. Okay. Now, one moment. It appears that there is a point in time where you can never come back. What's a point in time you can never come back? There is seemingly one, there is one red line. Seemingly. What's the red line? If a person turns and says, I am spitefully now 
actively going to do a sin. You know, unfortunately, when the, by the, during the times of the Second Temple, when the, when the Temple was being destroyed, we learned stories of Jewish people who were connected with the Romans and they, they, did, they did seemingly spiteful sins, very tragic. So the red line is when someone says, I'm going to sin, I know I'm sinning, but I'm going to repent afterwards. <laughs> Seemingly that's a red line. So you know the full story. You know, if you don't know better, fine. But you know the full story. I'm going to now take the red. But don't worry about it. I'm good. You know. so, so if I knew a Jew in New York who worked in the Diamond District, yeah. and he said, for lunch I'm going to have a ham and cheese and then say a brucha. Yeah. Now, that would be the crossing the red line. No. No. Because you want to eat on the Because that's what said, they would do. do better. I'm sure there's. Just, just one second to go to Tzvi's question. Was that person saying the bracha in spite, or he really wanted to make a bracha on it? I think he really wanted the sandwich. So then, he wasn't doing it. No, no, that, that's a very important point. He wasn't doing it in spite. <coughs> His foolishness got better of him. But he wasn't going in every bite and saying, Hashem, this, is, this next bite is for you. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't in so spite. So it was foolishness. I, I seem, yeah. It's not a, so spite you're saying out of anger. Spite means, I'm going to teach Hashem a lesson. Oh. That's spite. If you're knowledgeable it's enough to good. say a blessing, but you're eating something that's not... So then you're a fool. It sounds spiteful to me. No, he was a fool. But, go ahead. No, no, this is the third time. I'm not cutting you off. Go ahead. <laughs> intention. It seems like intention and knowledge are really critical in Judaism. Absolutely. You can be well-intentioned and not have the knowledge. Yes, intention and knowledge are both important. So you're referring to Roman times when Jews were killing Jews. Right? I mean, there were some tragic. Well, that you're talking about, they were forced into fights. They, the I mean, in that certain ones that favored the Romans. And correct. Correct. That was a complicated. I mean. Terrible time period. But, but I just want to go back to this point. Where is the red line? To say it clearly, the red line is if someone says, I'm going to sin, but then, don't worry, I'll ask Hashem right after for forgiveness. That's a red line. I know I'm sinning, and I'm not sinning now because my temptation, like it's not that I'm in control of myself. I'm going to sin and then I'll do, I'll do teshuva afterwards. So there we say you can't do teshuva. You can't, do, you can't go ahead and sin planning on doing teshuva. You see, your friend, if he sinned, he, he, it got the better of him, but it wasn't, I'm going to eat, eat it today, and he, 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 wasn't, he didn't have such a, such a detailed plan. But if someone says, I'll, I'm going to eat the sandwich today, but don't worry, right after I'll ask Hashem for forgiveness through the bracha over there, that's a red line. Yes, David. And this is certainly not a minor question, nor did I suggest that you intimated it was, because a majority of the tractate of Yoma deals with it. Yes, yes. Here we go, but let's read this inside. To be sure, he who says, I will sin and repent afterwards, is not given an opportunity to do so. Seemingly, I found you a red line. If you say, I'm going to sin and do tshuva, boom! You can't... Even this person can do tshuva. But the Gemara says he can't do tshuva, and I'm telling you he can. How does it work together, Moshe Mendel? The answer is, he cannot do tshuva, meaning... The odds are against him. The odds are against him. But if he fights and perseveres, he will be successful. Again, someone who sins and says, I'm now going to, I'm planning to do tshuva, 
he doesn't have that same natural ability of other people. A normal person, if they've sinned, so they, they're empowered to do teshuva. That's part of the natural process. Is Hashem says, okay, let's co- come back. My child, come back. But someone who sins with the intent to do teshuva, they're not getting that call back. If they're going to come back on their own, they can, and they could succeed. Let's see that inside, and then I'll take that question. But this means that such a sinner is not granted the auspicious occasion to repent. If, however, he has seized the opportunity himself and has repented, nothing can stand in the way of repentance. So to summarize this, A Jew is never separated from Hashem under any circumstance. So even in the case of idolatry, that person has not separated himself from Hashem. So now all of a sudden, idolatry is, is, uh, is, is not as severe as we discussed. If a person is willing to give him his life up for idolatry, which even for that he could do teshuva, you're willing to give up your life for idolatry, then certainly be willing to give up on a simple pleasure. Not to separate from Hashem. Yes, Svi. No, no, I agree. <laughs> so no, I was going to say yes. Hashem always wants you to come back. No matter what you've done. You might have to work harder or yes. extremely hard. But Yes. No, I agree with you. A father always wants his child to come back. But there are certain points where a father says, I did my calling. And now it's all in your hands. There are certain times a father says, I, I called your name five times. You're not listening to me. I love you. I want you to come back. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to keep on calling. There's another problem too, and that is, to me it's a problem. I'll commit this sin and then I'll repent. And then I die. I don't get a chance to repent. My soul is in deficit and remains so. No small consideration. Uh, and in addition to which, if that's not a consideration, then why do I bother to say I'm going to repent later? It's obvious that I'm not forsaking the system. I mean, for that reason, the Mishnah says a person should always imagine he's going to die in the moment. Mm-hmm. A, in Pirkei Avos, we learn that uh, you should imagine, not, not to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you, God forbid. Thank God you should be healthy and live a long life. But a person should know that nothing's in his hands. And uh, don't, don't, don't take sin. You don't know what the, quali- what the uh, benefit is one way or the other for committing a sin. Correct. And if so, you became a martyr for another religion... Yeah. Right, you said, I hereby die in the name of Allah. Yeah. Right? We would assume that you were insane at the time and you'd be forgiven. Just like with suicide. All right, see. That, that was, I'm not going to argue on that. That's beyond my. No, no, I hear exactly where you're coming from. You're coming from the suicide perspective of nowadays. So I, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to discuss that. Okay. But interest, fascinating point, not because I disagree. Okay. You can ask Hashem when you get there. God forbid. Not God forbid. Nonetheless, nonetheless, every Jew is prepared and ready to suffer. How do you say the next word? Martyrdom. Martyrdom? Mm -hmm. For the sanctification of God's name. Every Jew is prepared to give up his life at terrible pain for the sanctification of God's name and will not commit an idolatrous act even temporarily, with the intention of repenting afterwards. Even though a person could sin, could serve idolatry, and still come back, and still be a perfect Jew, he's able to push the gates of of repentance open. Nonetheless, a person won't. This is because of the divine light which is closed in his soul. This is because of the fire which is in your soul, as exclaimed above, which does not come within the realm of time at all, but transcends it, having rule and dominion over it, as is known. You have a fire. Each and every one, one of us have a fire. Now, why is it that our, uh, we were not willing to allow ourselves to separate from God for a minute? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Like, like we said before, you're willing to go on vacation from your parents. You're willing to go, what's the big deal to do a little sin and then repent? Well, yes, yes, yes please, Liz. Um, maybe you won't be able to reconnect the same. So, if you say that's the issue, then it's, it's a fear. 
That is a fear, yes. But it's a fear, but it's not a real current issue. What I mean to but say it is... may be. Correct. For that person who is deciding not to take that chance, not to do that sin, that could be the only reason that they have. Good. Good. But, but then... It's it's a it's a fifty fifty. Yeah, some people will say take the chance. Okay, but here we're learning, and and that's true, certainly true. That one of the thoughts behind not sinning is you don't know if you'll be able to do teshuva, repent, like it says in Ethics of Our Fathers. But here we're learning much deeper, and this is a very profound point. Today we're going to learn it in the negative. Next week we're going to learn it in the positive. In heaven, everything is eternal. And I, I'm not going to be able to explain this to you because I can't. But I can tell you the words. When you sin, the sin is eternal. The sin will last forever. The sin is eternal because everything in heaven is eternal. So even though you're going to reconnect with God, but that moment in time where you were separated is an eternal moment in time. <laughs> you know, but Sandra, think about the positive. <laughs> the positive is going to be next week we're going to learn. Tzvi, did that make sense to you? Well, in, in, in the future, your memories of the past, they occur, they're with you forever. So, yeah. But so are mitzvot, which I assume will be of, of, of course, of course. In the positive, we're going to learn and that's one of the other things that Chabad focuses very much, is do a mitzvah once. You don't do it again. You know, sometimes we're challenged by naysayers. So come, you know, if I see someone eating not, not kosher, I'll, I'll offer them my food. And people, they'll laugh at me. I've had it before. They'll laugh at me. Like, what are you doing? That person is going to go and eat not kosher in a moment. What are you wasting your time with? But if I believe what I'm learning now, what do you mean what I'm wasting my time? That person that ate non-kosher for one moment, there's an eternal moment in his life of kosher. So if all the, the Chabadniks in Brooklyn, instead of getting people to put on tefillin, they give out kosher pastrami. <laughs> well, no, well, if you knew the power of tefillin, you'd, you'd agree with the tefillin theory. But that's a good idea. I'm with you. I'm looking for a sponsor. I'll give it out. I'll donate my time. Yes. So now we've, we all could leave here with a, with a meditation on how to not sin. The meditation is as follows. You know, the, the thing I don't like about meditation is meditation sounds like a, sounds like a far-off theory. Sounds like it's uh, you know, something you dream about at night. It's not a meditation. This is a reality. The reality is like this. The reality is a person we all would give up our lives if threatened with death or serving idols. However, even if we would serve the idol, it would only be temporary and we could still do teshuva. You know, if someone, if, if, if someone is threatened with their life and they do the sin... They're still a good Jew. They were threatened with their life. You know, we talk about the Moranos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're still Jewish. <laughs> you know, they, they, they sinned. And they did something which the Torah says you need to give up your life. We love them. They're, they're, our, they're our brothers and sisters. Nonetheless, nonetheless, if someone was threatened as a whole, they would give up their life. If you're going to give up your life to not separate yourself from Hashem for a moment in time, so then give up. So then don't give up your life. Just hold back your temptation for whatever comes to your mind at the time. Any other 248, uh, 365 negative commandments. If one day you decide you really want to wake up late. That would be a positive commandment. Say Shema. Yeah. Okay. Are, are, there any, are there any questions? First of all, should I recap it or, or you got it? Should we recap again? I don't get your last statement. Wake up late and say Shema. Right. I was saying one of the positive commandments is to say the Shema in the morning. 
part of that positive commandment is a person needs a person needs to wake up before the third hour of the day has passed. Because after the third hour, you can't say Shema anymore. So, even if you're really tired, you're going to be able to overpower your laziness to get up and say Shema. So if you slip through it... You've passed over one of the opportunities of saying, one of the opportunities of doing a positive commandment. But isn't that for men? Is Shema for men? Is Shema only for men? The answer, the answer is, it is only for men. But there are different parts of davening that also women should say. And ideally, if a woman could, she should say Shema. Especially because the Shema includes leaving Egypt, which Egypt is something that, in the third paragraph of Shema, we discuss leaving Egypt. And Egypt is something that women are also responsible to mention every day. Don't you have to say Shachris before midday, mid-watch? Yeah, Shachris is an hour later. That's why you give Shema. <coughs> Shema is an hour earlier. So you have to do Shema right away so you don't miss? Right, right. Okay. okay. So, okay. We're, so we're not time-bound. So if you miss the time, then you say Shema. Have to say it? Yeah, you should still you, you, say you should still you should still say it. Right. You just don't get as much credit for it. Exactly, you don't get credit for saying it in time. Okay, that was well. That's, I mean, that's, I'd ask the question, same question about the whole to a feeling. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's how I picture it somehow. Did I answer your question, or did? About specifically about Shema, yes. Yeah, about Tefillah, the same thing. You should say it before the fourth hour. If you've missed it, you can still pray. Yeah, yes. Sandra, you had a question? <laughs> no question. So, women are not time-bound for the Shema. Is that what you're saying? That is what I... Parts of it that we are time-bound when we talk about... Egypt and leaving Egypt. There are certain commandments that women are responsible for. Mm -hmm. One of them includes mentioning the the fact that we left Egypt every day. Okay. okay. And so, by saying the third paragraph of Shema, you fulfill that obligation. But the timing of it. You know, I, I completely. Me I'm sorry. I, I, I just want. I just want to apologize. Not Shema. In the paragraph after Shema, we mentioned leaving Egypt, which is something that women are supposed to say. But it's not time bound. No, no. That's the second paragraph. In, right before the Shema answer, we say a paragraph. Ezra Savoseinu atu meyolam. How how Hashem took us out of Egypt. But in any case, it's not time bound. Correct. 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 Okay. Okay. Time bound means that it has to be at a certain time of day. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If I tell you you need to do something any time during the day, that wouldn't be called time bound. That would be called you find the time, you pick it. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you.